0: In case you're new to church today, my name's Troy, um, whether it be in person or online, I'm the pastor here and we're so glad you've joined us um, because we're going to be starting to talk about some interesting things. But I don't know what your thoughts are about the things we should be talking about in church. I, My opinion is that we need to be talking about things at church that are important to people and more importantly important to God. That's what we should be doing, isn't it? I, th- I, th- I think so. And so through my... 20 plus years of ministry, I've spoken about sex and and, uh, I'm looking forward to doing the uh, sex series here at some point. Don't worry, we're not doing it today. Um, We're going to do the sex sex talk at some point. Um, We've spoken about money, spoken about marriage and relationships, spoken about parenting. We've covered many of the important things through my time in ministry, but one of the things I haven't spoken about is the environment. Haven't spoken about the environment before. I'm not quite sure why that is. You know, the environment is a big concern for a number of people today, particularly the the younger generations. And the environment has become so much of an issue for many people that it even dictated their vote in the federal election from just a few months ago. It's an issue that's seeing seismic shifts in social policy and consumer behaviour, even corporate responsibility. The environment is a big deal and it seems to be getting bigger. It is no longer simply about the Keep Australia Beautiful TV ads from the 1970s and 80s. Anyone can remember those? It's moved on beyond simply Keep Australia Beautiful. It's, um, It's a global issue now and somewhat ironically, it's also become big business. You know, where most of us are on board, we're doing our bit, we're putting as much as we possibly can into the yellow lidded bins that we have at home whenever you start talking about the environment though the week some of us can't help but going and starting engaging with images like this anyone happen to know who this person is on, on this side on the, on the le- on your left who is that Gre- Greta Thunberg the uh, teenage climate activist Uh, She's quite zealous, really, isn't she? That's one word for her. Uh, She's zealous. But then you see her on the left, and this is something that we've seen recently, the actions, how that's being played out, even in our city, about people wanting to disrupt the city, uh, all for them to be able to protest about the environment. Images like this can put us off. You know, because many of us don't think, I don't want to be a Greta Thunberg. I don't want to have that intensity. I don't want to be that zealot. I don't want to be like her. Or I don't want to be protesting like this. And many of us think that, look, I'll just recycle and be happy with that. But if you wanted to actually have more than a nominal concern about the environment, is this what we actually have to become? Do we have to become a Greta Thunberg? Do we have to then superglue ourselves to major city roads to disrupt as many people as we can so that we can make an environmental stand? Is that what it means to have more than simply a nominal concern about the environment? Now, from the You and the Environment survey that was sent out to the church to respond to, um, a month or so ago, um, interesting responses. 75% of responders said that they are concerned or very concerned about the state of our global environment. 10% though said that they are not concerned at all or not really concerned. Also, 62% of the survey responders in the church said that the current climate concerns require our urgent response to that. But 24% of people said, you know what, with all the things that are being reported in the news and the like at the moment, 24% of people said they think it's scaremongering, that it's not as bad as what is being reported. Interestingly, though, nobody said that it's all fake news and that there is no climate crisis. Nobody said that. In the survey, 95% of people said that Christians should be concerned about the environment, with 80% saying that that Christians should be doing as much as they can to actually help the environment. So those results from the survey actually confirm that the majority of people in our church, which is just a a microcosm perhaps of the wider society, that ultimately the majority think that there is something to be concerned about when it comes to our environment and and the environment deserves a response from us. So today we're going to be starting a four-week series looking at the environment. We want to spend a few weeks looking at this because we don't simply want it to be just a one-week message. We want to be talking about this for some time to give it the significance, to honour the importance of this particular issue. So we're going to be talking about it for a few weeks. I'm not going to be putting up one scientist against another or necessarily talking about scientific measurements or environmental theories. I'm not going to be doing that. There's plenty of stuff on the internet. Go crazy. Look that up if you want to. There's good stuff and there's bad stuff in there. Knock yourself out. There's plenty of stuff out there. But our intention in this series is though to, talk, to look at the biblical perspective on the environment. And with that understanding, then let that shape our worldview about the environment and what our response ultimately is to be. And our response to this is important because it doesn't, our response doesn't automatically, we need to join then blockade Australia and where we start need to hugging trees and hanging from the harbour bridge. It doesn't automatically mean that. But interestingly, as the survey results show, that all of us recognise there is something happening in our climate at the moment. There's something happening in our environment. We may not all agree to the extent that that is happening, but all of us can see that there is something happening to our land. And so the name of this series that we're going to be looking for, as has been advertised for a few weeks now, is called Heal This Land, because we want to see our land healed, don't we? Because Australia has somewhat become the focal point of many climate concerns from our mining and export of fossil fuel to the bleaching that's been reported on one of the natural wonders of the world, the Great Barrier Reef, through to our catastrophic bushfires and floods that we have seen in recent times. Many of us want to see God heal our land as part of a wider healing throughout the globe and isn't it true that our world needs healing, our world's environment needs healing. You just got to look at what's happened in Pakistan in, in the last couple of weeks with the catastrophic floods there, the devastation that's occurred to lives and property there in Pakistan and that's been putting down as another evidence of a of an ongoing series of global events, which is recognising that climate is changing in our very midst. So what we're going to be looking about in this series over the few weeks that we will be dedicating to this topic, is that we're going to be looking at ecological stewardship. See, the way that we view and treat the environment very much comes from our understanding of what we find in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Genesis. Genesis. There are a couple of words in the book of Genesis which really have influenced our view of the environment and one word in particular, that word being subdue. What does the Bible mean when it says that people are to subdue the earth? You know, as always, our actions reflect what we believe. That is a principle for life. Our actions reflect what we believe. And so... Clearly, what we believe about the environment is actually reflected in the way that we treat the environment. You know, environmental care can can reflect our desire to steward the environment. But equally, environmental carelessness can actually reflect a desire to exploit the environment. So that's what we're going to be looking at next week. Then we're going to be looking at the issue of ecological justice. Now, you may remember that a few weeks ago, we had spent a fair bit of time looking at the issue of justice, particularly biblical justice. The reality is, though, that whenever there are environmental issues, usually the people that get impacted the most about environmental issues are the poor. And so this is not, environmental concern is not just a stewardship issue. It is a justice issue. And we need to recognise that and talk about that in the midst of the conversation about the environment. And then we're going to be finishing off by looking at ecological response. We're going to be looking about what we can do to better care for the environment. You know, this whole series, in fact, falls under the general heading of creation care. Now, if you go onto YouTube or Google, these your creation care, you'll find a wealth of great resources which talk about the biblical, the Christian response. And understanding about the environment, you might want to check that in your own time. But creation care is the general topic of what this series falls under. But today, though, we're going to be starting off by looking at the topic of ecological design. And what we're going to be talking about um, in this series remains just as true as if there was no climate crisis. See, we could still talk about creation care even if the glaciers weren't melting even if there weren't weird tornadoes and ridiculous storms in Europe that they've just had in their summer period, even if our bushfires didn't occur, we would still be talking in the same way in this series as if none of that stuff is occurring, none of that stuff has happened because the truth and the principles of what we're going to be talking about in this series are not simply for our age. So even if there is a climate hoax... Even if there is climate um, scaremongering, or even if it is exactly as it is being reported, what we're going to be talking about in this series transcends any environmental concern, transcends any environmental conspiracy. What we're talking about here is not political. It is biblical about what we're looking at in this series. You know, there have been many times in my life when I have been self-righteous, and opinionated and downright obstinate. Now, if you still think that if you think that, that still describes me today, you should have seen me 20 or 5 years ago or so. <laughs> Praise be to God that he changes us. Is that would affirm that? Thank goodness that God's work in our lives, he changes us and matures us. I clearly remember one of those times when I was all of those things wrapped up in one particular moment. I was in a Bible college class over 20 years ago now, and we were having a discussion about evangelism and um, seeing people being saved through the message and the work of Jesus and talking about the wider work of God in this world. And in that discussion, in that Bible college class that day, I clearly remember passionately, passionately defending the position that the only thing that matters is people being saved. The only thing that matters is people being saved, that God only, that God exclusively just cares about people's salvation. So he and so us, we don't need to care about anything else other than the salvation of people. Now, I have to say, as critically important as salvation is to God, for people, and as important and critically important as salvation is for us as people, I have to admit that my view at the time failed to recognize the wider perspective about who God is. See, what I fully didn't understand back in that Bible college class is that God's redemptive plans is for all of his creation, not just people. God has plans for everything he cares about. And so what I want us to consider today is this. Does God care about things other than the condition of the heart and lives of people? Does God care even extend to creation? Now back in that class, I didn't care about when Jesus says that even the birds of the air are in God's care. I didn't really care about the fact that the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 says that God is going to restore everything. And I certainly paid no attention to the writings of Paul who on a number of occasions affirms some incredibly profound truths. Paul says, like in, in Romans, he says, the, world, the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all creatures are ready and can be released at that same moment into the glorious times ahead. Get that. Creatures and creation coming into the glorious plans of God. In Colossians, he goes on to say this. He says, All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, get this, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of Jesus' death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You see, in that Bible college class, I didn't fully appreciate that God has redemptive plans for all of his creation, not just people. That is a perspective I didn't have. I was ignoring some profound truths that many of the biblical writers spoke to. Does anyone know about the significance of the name James Webb? It's a name that's been in the news in, in more recent times. Do you know, you know why? Maybe you don't know the name because there's a word missing because you just say the name and then there's a word that adds at the end. Do you know what that word is? The word is telescope. Anyone heard of the James Webb Telescope? If you're not quite sure, it was a brand new telescope that was launched by NASA in December of last year to replace the Hubble Telescope. And uh, the uh, James Webb Telescope is to peer deeper and more, and with more clarity into the expanse of the universe. Here's just one of the recent images that the James Webb Telescope actually produced. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. And this is just one of the images that it's starting to capture of our universe, or multiverse, depending on if you if you if you believe, uh, you know, Marvel. It replaced the Hubble Telescope, but I have to say, the uh, the Hubble Telescope produced some pretty incredible things as well. This is one of the images that they've got there as well. And you can see in the bottom corner there. There's a photo of a nebula, and it's just truly amazing. The issue is, according to the Book of Genesis, these here, these two images here, are just a, a tiny fraction of the majestic realities in our universe that God has created. You know, the Psalmist writes this fact. He says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. I think we spoke a little bit about that in the song today with the kids. See, when we look up at the night sky, and see all the stars there, we stand in absolute amazement, don't we, of what is out there. We feel so small, and yet at the same time, we feel so grateful that God created this. Even though that we're confronted with the vastness of space, with images like we just saw, or just looking up into the night sky, we somehow feel connected to the creator of that, of all that. See all of that that we witness when we look up into the sky and we see now being sent back from telescopes and not the result of some cosmic randomness but rather has been designed and been created by God, by Jesus himself, as we've looked at, Is affirmed in the book of Colossians that we looked at in the last couple of months, that Jesus created it at all. See, what we see around us when we look around our world, what we see when we peer into the night sky, when we see what the Hubble and the James Webb telescopes send back to us is not some, something random, but rather it has been perfectly created and perfectly positioned by God to declare his glory. See, I'm not sure if you realise this or not, but our planet is perfectly located from the distance from the sun to make sure that life can be sustained. If we're any closer to the sun, life would fail to exist because we'd all be scorched to death. If we're any further away from the sun, then we would freeze to death. Life would fail to exist, as we know it, if we were in a different place in reference to the sun. God has positioned this world perfectly for the life that he desired to inhabit this planet. Now when we refer to the creation stories in chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Genesis, it tells of a God who creates, a God, a God who created. Anybody ever got a little bit confused about reading Genesis one and two about all that, how that works? Our minds try to work out how, how does all that fit into place, and all that? Some of us can be a little bit confused about how all that could actually work. But regardless of our trying to think about the mechanics of that. The most important thing that we need to know is that God created it all. You see, science still has no legitimate answer for how all this started other than God. God is still the best answer. Because you need more faith to believe in how scientists believe how all this came into being than it does the faith that you need to believe that God created it. God is still the best answer. But when it comes to Genesis chapter 1, the explanation with the elements of creation, it says that God saw what he created and saw that it was good. Imagine the universe and everything in it. Remember that view that you had from that mountaintop or that incredible sunset that you saw one particular time. Think about the images that are now being sent back by James Webb and and the Hubble telescopes. Think about that for a moment and think about how incredibly inspiring and humbling and how it makes you feel incredible when you see all of those images, all of that stuff that you can remember in these moments right now from a biblical perspective, that's described as simply being good. How is that possible that that's simply described as good when you think about all the splendour of what you can think about, what you have seen yourself? And we also know, don't we, that when God created people, he looked at us and said, you know what? That's just not good. That's very good. See, we are truly the most wonderful of all of God's creation. God bought his creative best for you. So we have creation that has been described as being good and very good. I'm not quite sure where the demarcation line is between what is good and what is very good, but all of us have to admit, don't we, it's all pretty amazing. It's all pretty amazing. (laughs) So tell me, if the universe is at least good, then what right do we have to live in a way that would cause God's goodness to lose its splendor? If we so easily mistreat one another, if we so so easily mistreat one another, one another who is defined as very good, then how easily do you think that we will mistreat, that we will exploit, that we will be apathetic about something that is merely defined as good? If we will mistreat something that is very good. See, what I didn't understand in that Bible college class back then was learning to love people as Jesus loves them is only the start of learning to love everything that God has created. See, if we totally get inspired by the James Webb's images and we look at those images and think, that is truly amazing, that is so good, then why is it that so easily we forget but what we are standing on is equally as good as what we see from James Webb telescope images. What we're standing on is equally as good as any of those photos that we see from those telescopes. You see, this creative goodness for our world is for a purpose, not only not merely are the heavens to declare the glory of God, but as Paul writes in Romans as well, it says, For the since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? From what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, the goodness of this created world is one of the ways that people can know that there is a God. See, God created not merely the heavens, but also the earth to draw people to himself through Jesus. A failure to care for the environment, which ultimately tarnishes and permanently reduces the goodness of God's creation, could actually ultimately affect somebody's salvation. I'm not quite sure if you've ever thought about that that before. Paul talks about the fact that because of the world. And what we see in the world is actually draws people to God. If we mistreat the world and make it not as good as God created it to be, then we could affect somebody's salvation. It could affect somebody's salvation directly. Or it could actually fail to support the message we proclaim about the work of God, the reality of God and the hope of Jesus. Simply by the way that we treat the planet. You know, in the um, in the U.N. Environment Survey, when I was asked which of the environment issues were of most concern to you, there was a resounding response about pollution. So many people in the church are concerned about pollution into this world, but it wasn't the number one response. You know what the number one response is? The thing that the people in our church are most concerned about: loss of forests and the destruction of habitats for wildlife. That was the number one concern that people in our church have. Now, that may have something to do with the distressing scenes like this that we're all familiar with from the bushfires from a couple of years ago. Sustaining habitats has become a huge issue. A huge issue. Let's go back to the creation story in the Bible again. When you read through Genesis 1, you see a seven day account of the creation process. Now, with Genesis chapter 1, many of us think that was written by modern day scientists. But more so, when you look at Genesis 1, and say more so, Genesis 1 is a theological explanation about how things came to be. It was written thousands of years by an ancient Near East author. It wasn't written by Sir Isaac Newton or Dr Amy Farrah Fowler. (laughs) Or even Stephen Hawking for that matter. It was written by an ancient Near East person to theologically explain what happened. And so because of the theological explanation about creation, they use particular language and they use particular patterns to tell us about how this all came to be. And so what's really important for us is not to be transfixed on literal days, but rather on the message and the pattern of Genesis chapter 1. Let's have a look at it. Genesis chapter 1, it talks about the series of days. Day 1, we see the creation of day and night. And then in day 2, we see the creation of the vaults or the expanses as the Scriptures say that were the sky and the seas. Day 3, we see the waters are gathered to one place and then we have the creation of the lands. That's the first three days. So in the first three days of creation... God creates three habitats. The habitat for the cosmos, the habitat of the air and the seas, and the habitat of the land. What do we see next in the creation story? We see creation of the inhabitants for those habitats. In day four, we see creation of the sun and moon and the stars for the cosmos. So these celestial bodies then control, govern... Day and night. And then in day five, we see creation of the birds and the fish for the sky and the seas. Day six, we see creation of animals. And also on that day, the crown and glory of all creation being people for the land. So days one, two, and three of the creation story perfectly relates to, do, to days four, five, and six. So in the creation account, God first created habitats and then he created inhabitants for them in order of which he created the habitats. Two of the habitats are confined to our world. The first of the habitats, as the James Webb Telescope and Hubble confirm, is so expansive but yet incredibly beautiful beyond our planet. So, I wonder if in the survey results of a church saying that they are most concerned about destruction of habitats, I wonder if that actually comes from a deeper understanding of the creative processes of God that where he started creating habitats first. That before us, God created habitats for us. Because what we have to recognise without habitats, there would be no us. I also wonder then if God is actually controlling or guiding the pace of our cosmological exploration into the first of his habitats to see if his creation here can first care for this habitat before he allows us to go into the vastness of the other one. See, I wonder if God is testing our faithfulness to our creation here before he lets us loose on the other creation out there. Because the biblical principle is, God says that if you will be faithful with the small things, I'll put you in charge of many great things. The world is so small in comparison to the vastness of the universe. And so God is testing us, our faithfulness to this small thing. To see if we'll be trustworthy with the vastness of all of his creation. I wonder if that's the case. You know, environmental consciousness and environmental stewardship, like we're going to be talking about in coming weeks, is actually honouring not merely the creative design of God, but honouring the redemptive plans of God for all of creation. Not caring about the condition of the environment is ultimately not caring about the good things that God has done. The things of God includes creation, not merely the cross. Creation is just as much of the plans of God as the cross of Jesus is. We can't honour the cross without also honouring creation in which the the cross is centrally located. The start of our understanding and perspective on the environment starts with us truly understanding, appreciating God's creative goodness as much as we try to understand how much God loves us. And God loves us. We know that he loves us so much because he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we can find peace with God. See, we can't neglect the goodness of creation any more than we can neglect the gift of salvation. Both are part of God's good and perfect will. All of it is part of God's redemptive plans for all of His creation. God cares about people so much, but He just doesn't care about people. He cares about everything that He has created, because everything that He's created is part of the expression of His love for everything next we we're going to be talking about ecological stewardship and by looking at those couple of words that really give, bring clarity about how we as God's creation are to interact with the environment today we set a foundation recognizing God's goodness in his creative you know the way that he's expressed himself creatively and honoring all that God has done not just what God has done in your life. Dan's going to lead us in our final song now. I'm just going to pray. I want to pray to commit ourselves to being open for God to speak to us through his Holy Spirit about this issue of ecological response, creation care, something that we perhaps have never considered before, but which is so important for us to have within our biblical worldview. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that this morning that you have started a conversation with us about things that perhaps we've never thought about before. Lord, let our response to your environment not merely be as a result of social pressures or social influences, but rather be as a result of you working in our life. Give us a perspective to see your environment, the things that you've created from your Eyes, through your eyes with the goodness that you have created with the incredible masterstroke of creativity help us to live with that appreciation and praise you for it and interact with your creation accordingly Lord I want to thank you so much that you have created everything and you're going to be redeeming everything restoring making everything new and you're wanting us to play a part in that because of our knowledge of you and our response to you. Lord, help each of us through the course of this series. Help each of us today. And Lord, just lay upon our hearts still the reality that you love us so much. So much so that you created a place for us to live and you provided us the Saviour for us to know you personally. We want to thank you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.